Hello, and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited, where we'll cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation, so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go too much further, I'd like to thank Alexius Arctos for his amazing sound engineering and editing work, and Raphael Crooks for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. Before I go any further, I want to apologise for the occasional gaps in the dialogue between Ben and I. We haven't edited out any information. It was more a case of editing out a cough that I'd picked up after contracting COVID. As such, there were problems with this recording and definitely with the next interview I do as well. So I apologise for that and I beg your patience with me because in the lead up to my surgery, I sought treatment which finally got it under control. So thankfully, we shouldn't have that problem anymore. Today's story is a complicated one, and to fully give it the coverage it deserves, we end up digging into some rather disturbing information to try and find the truth. There is so much to Ben's case that I had to split this into a three-part case, but it's a remarkable example of reincarnation, and I think you'll find it riveting. We welcome Ben to the podcast to discuss his memories of life as a soldier who served two tours of duty in the Vietnam War. But to get us started on this rather epic journey, join me now as we meet Ben and find out about his early life and the path he took to finally realise what was happening and who he had been. I'd like to welcome Ben to the program. Ben, one of my long-term friends, he's going to tell us his memories of being in the Vietnam War. But before we get to all of that, we'll start right from the very beginning and say hello for a start. Hello. You've had memories right from a little kid. But did you ever have, like, uh, the night terrors? Night terrors. Well, they were more like, more than a night terror. What I remember is sort of having phobias. So it was more of a sort of waking phenomena than, than night terrors. Although I could have had night terrors and just forgotten them. And in fact, there's one incident that happened to me that I recall sort of recently that sort of occurred when I was ill as a child which I've linked to this previous life later on. So if I did have night terrors, I don't fully recall if I did. And to take it a step back further, your family, were you you from a family that actually believed in reincarnation or did you have to tough it out? (laughs) Well, I never told my family members about my memories, but at least on my mum's side, people are quite open-minded and actually talked about reincarnation and... um, past lives and I know some paranormal things that happened in my family for instance my mom had poltergeist experiences when she was a teenager which was witnessed by multiple people in the house so they were not strangers to this kind of phenomena but even then I didn't feel I could tell people what was going on with me yeah because one of the difficulties that you've had pretty much through your whole story is is a sense of fear about sort of coming forward because of the circumstances, and we'll get into that as we go along. But yep. even even as a child, it was very difficult for you, wasn't it? Yeah, I felt like I had to carry this stuff on my own, that it was something I had to keep secret, yeah. which I didn't really understand why until later on. Yeah. You said you had phobias. What sort of phobias did you have? Okay, so the major phobia I had was of being ill to the point where I would... I had a fear of, of getting so sick that I wouldn't be able to cope and I, that I would pass away. That was one of the phobias that I had. And it was usually like around kind of sort of stomach issues. And 
the other phobia I had was I never liked weaponry and would get quite, I mean, in England, we don't get that exposed to guns and stuff because, you know, not like America. But if, for instance, my cousins were playing with BB guns, I would have to sort of leave the room. Uh, I, I couldn't be around them. And the other thing, I suppose, I had a kind of, it was kind of like a fascination as well as a phobia of anything that was military related. I would get this kind of avoidance towards it. At the same time, I felt like I was attracted to that sort of thing. So it was like a, it was a conflicted kind of feeling for me. But yeah, that, those were the major things. Wow, that's that's amazing, especially the feeling of being sort of drawn to but frightened of weaponry. Yeah. And as you say, like we, I come from Australia, you come from England, and it's just not a focus in our sort of community. Like it's not like America where everyone's got guns and so mm. you don't really come across it very often. So it's interesting that you had a fear of it because I don't think yeah. as a kid I would have even really thought about guns, to be honest, <laughs> apart from playing and all the usual things you do as a kid. Right. You said to me when I first met you that you also had like a uh, being drawn to a sort of almost like a sort of Catholicism, even though your family weren't Catholic. Yeah, that actually links in with the phobia that I had. It was funny because my mum, whenever I used to step out of line when I was a kid, my mum would say to me, like sort of out of context, really, she would just say to me, don't be Catholic. She would say things like that. Mm-hmm. Or don't be Irish. She used to say things like this to me. And this only makes sense if you if you understand my past life history, because my who my past self was, he was both Catholic and Irish American. And um, when I was in primary school, we went on a school trip to a cathedral, and we were inside the building, and there was a guide sort of showing us around, and he was showing us like um, carvings on the wall of like people being drawn like dragged to hell, and um, <laughs> it really sort of left an impression in my mind like for me I made this connection in my brain that hell was the reason why I had this phobia but I was connecting this phobia with visions of hell and for me they were one and the same and after that visit as a kid I sort of started to read the bible every day because I I got terrified that I was going to go back to this hell place and it wasn't so much that hell was a place of like you know in the afterlife it was like hell was somewhere that my mind went when I went to this phobia and I kind of then started this really strange uh, habit that I didn't tell anybody about you know it was something that you know I kept to myself that when I went to the toilet every time I went I would have to sort of sign the cross to myself Um, and obviously my family is not religious you know so (laughs) I don't know where I was getting this from but I also felt like I was praying for something like I was praying that myself my body wouldn't get sick and I wouldn't go back to this hell place and became almost a bit like a bit like an obsession really and um I didn't really know why I was doing that it was like almost like going into a trance state that sounds pretty frightening for a little kid were you frightened when you had these experiences or were you just were you sort of just feeling like I have to do this to keep myself safe like no I was I was pretty frightened I was always anxious and I mean everywhere I went I was always looking for potential triggers that would take me back to that Everywhere I went in the back of my mind, and it's still now, I still have this. It's not gone away. But I would go around every single place I went to. It would be like I'd be looking for something that might trigger me back to that state of mind. And to the point where I would really regimate my life so to avoid being triggered in that way. I can remember having that feeling since I was really little. Even before I went to that cathedral, that's been there since I was 
I don't know when it when it started. It was been there a long time. That's interesting because I can remember when I was a little kid. I think I worked out about dying when I was about eight or ten, and I was terrified at that time. But you've actually almost had a, an understanding that we die right from the second you were a baby, almost. Well, I mean, I've at least been aware of that. There's something inside me that's got this great fear with it mm. since I was little. Yeah. Mm-hmm as is a common thing with people who've got more memories of like fear of thunderstorms and yeah I actually had a fear of thunderstorms when I was younger but I mean that's quite common with kids and I didn't connect that to at least my past life memories then or anything but I would say it was kind of like avoidance behaviors like you would get to avoid a trigger Mm. Mm. and you also told me another point we've we've discussed this quite a few times over the years so some of it I've got in my notes and some I haven't, but I remember you telling me as a child that you actually used to march, and I think there was a picture. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a video actually of me. Uh, it was just a you know a home video that my dad was taking. He used to record me and my sister Kwafi, and um, I remember when we were out walking places, I would sometimes go into a bit of a trance state, and I would start to march, <laughs> and there's a picture of me actually sort of in this stance with my arms sort of swinging by my sides. And then um, there's actually a little clip of a video of my dad uh, sort of catching me there, walking in that way. Wow. And you had quite a few traits that you related to your life that you find out about later. All of this is happening right when you're really young and you've got no idea what's going Mm -hmm. on or why you feel the way you do. One of the things that actually relates also to your memories although at the time you wouldn't have realised this, is that you do have gender dysphoria. Is, is mm-hmm. that, that correct? Yeah? Yep. Yep. So you started out as a little girl. Yeah. And later on you actually did transition and you are now a man. So that uh, relates actually quite a lot as well. It's interesting. We're sort of almost doing this from a kind of a funny angle because we're setting mm-hmm. into place all of the things that happened before you knew and then we'll get into what happened. So one of the traits that you had was that you said that you liked yodeling and you liked sort of singing yeah. country songs when you were a kid. Well, yeah, but I did not understand they were country songs. That's the thing. Again, I would go into this kind of spaced out, almost trance-like state, and I would be sort of sitting on the sofa and my mind would be wandering, and I would just go off and sing these songs. And the songs came into my head pretty fully formed to the point where I thought I had like this amazing ability to write song lyrics. Uh, on the on the floor yeah. I didn't realize they were real songs because they'd certainly never songs that I'd heard my parents sort of listen to or anything like that they weren't, they weren't popular songs and this is something that actually came back to me years later when I when I actually started to get memories back but I mean we can talk about that later if you want you've written me a little piece about this when we first spoke you wrote me a piece about your memories and this is where it all comes from where I'm actually relating all this from and you said at one point there was a feeling of a large male body covering your small child body. Is That's it, right. That must have been yeah. really confusing. To me, it didn't feel that way at, at that time. In fact, that used to come to me when I used to sing these songs. I used to feel that presence around me. And to me, it felt more like it didn't feel like separate from me. It felt like that was me. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to kind of... To, to, to put it in context really how it felt but it, it wasn't alien and it didn't feel threatening it felt like that was a part of me that was me 
Shanti Devi had a similar thing happen where when she was a little girl, she used to say to people, I'm not a little girl, I'm a, I'm a, grown, a grown woman mm-hmm. and I have a family and I've been married. Is it that right. sort of a feeling where you feel like you're kind of... Yeah, I used to feel it was like a older, wiser aspect of me. Mm. Although I didn't really know how to put, again, that in context. Mm. Um, mm. I just kind of accepted it as part of, of the of, of who I was. Yeah, there was a, this thing on the gender aspect I wanted to mention, that when I was born, uh, well, before I was born, my mum was sure that she was carrying a boy, a, a biological boy, I should say. But she also didn't want a boy, so it wasn't wishful thinking. She wanted a girl. And actually, when I was born, she felt that the doctors had got it wrong, that even though my biological sex said that I was a girl she felt there was something not right about that to the point where she even told my nan at the time that you know there's something wrong here it, you know should, it should be a boy I think that's what she said to my nan and my <clears> nan <throat> said well it's got girls parts so it's a girl <laughs> so I wonder if you yeah. kind of almost had that well not announcing dream thing but maybe maybe you had that connection where you sort of had subconsciously kind of connected before you were born and so therefore yeah. she thought. Yeah, like with me and my mom, she has a lot of similarities with my past life mom. To the point where I thought maybe they're the same person reincarnated. Because my past life mom died in my last life when I was in my early twenties. And she was born I think my mom was born in nineteen sixty four. And my past life mom died in nineteen sixty two. So I mean it's possible. And there's other things there that made me think that they're the same person. Well, that is interesting um, for her yeah. to feel so connected to you to know that. So maybe maybe she was expecting like a repeat, like in, you know, a bit like our Lou Gehrig and Christian Haupt, how they came back yeah. and repeated it because they never got the chance to fully enjoy being mother and son, I suppose you could say, because when Kathy Bird went and looked at her memories, she was told and she had the feeling as well that she was also Lou Gehrig's mother. Hmm. So it's quite possible. It's interesting too, we've talked about this as well, for a start, a little kid being interested in yodeling and, and country music is quite rare in Britain, I would say. Yeah. So did you feel at the time that you were also a part and away from your real country? At that point in my life, no, but it did crop up when I became a teenager. So yeah, the, the sense of being displaced and not feeling I, I belonged, I came around when things started to sort of go bad for me <laughs> as a teenager. But prior to that, um, yeah, I mean, I always sort of connected with America and Americans. Like I used to talk to quite a few Americans online or whatever. And um, but yeah, the, the feeling of of not feeling like I belonged here that didn't really crop up for me until I sort of became a teenager. Mm. Yeah. You said it was rough when you were a teenager. What was happening when you were a teenager? Did did other kids accept you? Because having memories is difficult, and your memories are extremely strong. Well, at the time, you didn't know they were memories, but well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't tell anybody about what was happening to me. So to be fair, the most predominant feeling I had was confusion. I didn't know what was going on. And as a teenager, I would say it was like a kind of gateway to a lot of sorrow opened. And um, it started to affect my, my school schooling. I, I couldn't go to school. I stopped going to school. And actually, I remember I was playing a, a video game and I was... Uh, it was actually about the Vietnam War, the video game. And I remember didn't get very far in the game. I just was 
going around and I remember that there was some music, it was 60s music, 1960s music. I, don't think, I think it was painted black by the Rolling Stones in, in the background of the game. And as I was sort of going around in the game, I, it clicked in my brain, like, I'm not going to go back to school. I need to, I need to stop. I need to stop going. And um, yeah, from, from then on, I, it was like a, maybe a couple of years and I was sort of going in school, coming home, going in school. Like, and then it got to the point where my parents had to sort of take me out of school because I just wasn't coping with, I wasn't integrating into to the person I was supposed to become, I suppose. And I just remember feeling totally like displaced and that, that I wasn't, that the, the life that I was supposed to be living wasn't quite mine. It, it didn't feel like I, w- I wanted to grow into this life. Yeah, that was a major feeling. And then I think it was a couple of years into leaving school, maybe I was about 14. It's a couple of years after all that issue started, but I was 14 when I left. And then I, I remember being at home and sitting there thinking the reason why I was having all these issues and, and trouble was because of, of a past life. And that it clicked in my mind that, that it was to do with the Vietnam War. And at the time, I kind of took it as this is my punishment because I did some terrible things in that war. And now as an adult, I see that's not the case. But back then, I, I couldn't contextualize why I felt so bad and why I was suffering so much when everybody else seemed to just... I mean, people find it hard when they're teenagers anyway, but for me, it seemed disproportionately hard considering the life I had. There was nothing that major that happened in my life to make me struggle the way I was struggling. It's not surprising you struggled, though. You had the memories or you had these feelings, but you also right. had the gender dysphoria. I mean, that's, that's a lot for a lot for a person to have to deal with as a teenager because mm-hmm. reaching puberty is a very difficult time for everybody. If you're taking a standard path, it's hard enough. So, you know, to then suddenly yeah. have to try and deal with these memories and the feelings and everything is tough. That's tough. Well, the major thing was that I was in denial about my gender. I didn't want, like to admit it. And I was in denial about having these memories too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in denial about having pain from that past life because if I'm honest with you, I didn't really think it was possible to inherit trauma from another life. And I also didn't think it was like to admit the gender aspect was to admit that the memories were real. So the more I denied them, the more it felt like they're not real. I don't have to face them. It doesn't matter. I can just keep going on with this life and maybe they'll go away eventually. It was that kind of feeling. So denial and repression were pretty key aspects of it. And then when you watched the video and you started to get an inkling about Vietnam, that must have been pretty frightening because I know your memories are quite frightening. Playing the video game. Well, yeah, I mean, if I'm honest with you, I didn't I didn't really touch anything to do with Vietnam apart from maybe like, you know, occasion there'd be something referenced on the television or whatever. But I, tr- I tended to avoid looking about anything to do with it. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned in the notes that you sent to me ages ago that you once you sort of realised about Vietnam and started thinking about you about it, you found it very hard to deal with the fact that, I mean, the north-south thing was one thing, but it was more you didn't know who the enemy was and it was like right. there was a lot of confusion about that. Yeah. And that's the thing when you look at it. There was a lot of yeah. covert soldiery going on, I suppose you could say. Well, the, the main thing I remember when I did think about Vietnam was that I, I used to feel a sense of confusion about who was the enemy and kind of stressed about it and um it just felt like uh, i don't want to think about that every time it used to crop up in my mind 
Well, you actually captured by the Viet Cong, who who actually looked just like the normal villagers. That's the thing, isn't it? Like it was a very different war for America because it was the first, was the first war where you had almost like a force that was basically part of the normal civilian population. So right. for the first time, there was no really defined army and enemy. It was like anybody could be your enemy. Yeah, that's right. Did you Was that why you found it difficult, that sense of not having it clearly defined? Well... This would these forts would predate being captured because my previous self did a tour in Vietnam on the ground and it was with special forces and one of the things that special forces had to do was we were force multipliers, so we would go into an area that was maybe like predominantly Viet Cong controlled and sort of in that area we would have a small force of Vietnamese and we would teach them how to patrol and so on and we actually literally were sleeping with Vietnamese people around in our little camp and some of these people turned out not to be trustworthy they were they were maybe given they were the enemy sleeping amongst us sort of thing yeah there were events that went on during that first tour that I've remembered that would have made me pretty distrustful so you said in your notes to me that when you were 13 which must have been around playing the video game time you became aware that you'd lived before and you'd fought in a war. Right. And around the age of 14, you were certain it was the Vietnam War. And that caused a yeah. triggering kind of effect in you as well. Yeah, because although I didn't, it didn't sort of open the doorway to the memories, because at the same time, even though I knew that it occurred to me, I didn't want to look at it. It felt like it was too big for me. And that if I was to open the door, it might like imagine like a house like a bricks behind the door and they would just fall on me that kind of feeling so i didn't immediately just open the door fully and go hey yeah i have those memories let's look at them it was more like um okay i'm aware of this now so you know where do i go with this and it was several years later when i was actually joining college that kind of the first real opening event happened um where i had a impactful dream that I connected to that life and the dream if you think it was confusing because it wasn't actually about Vietnam it was about it was I was driving through an American town and in the dream and it didn't look like modern America it looked like you would see the cars were kind of I don't know how to explain like they were like muted more muted colors that they were more angular you know they were not so much like the modern cars i mean this was the 2000s when i had the dream so they were not like the cars that you see these days and i knew it's an american town or at least a north american town because it the layout of the of the town wasn't like english town you know where all the houses are quite crowded and the roads are coming more narrow it was quite wide the, the roads and everything so i was driving in this town i pulled up my car and I got out and the dream kind of jumps to me walking into a building and I kind of had this seemed to have a purpose for going into this building but I wasn't quite sure what the purpose was it just felt like a kind of seemed like familiar and um, then the dream was like I was standing I'm not sure if I was standing in the building or or at the time I thought I was standing in the building but then I kind of became aware that there was two men who came from behind or or there was someone behind me and I couldn't quite make out who they were and the next part of the dream kind of again jumps and I, I feel like I'm on the ground and I've been shot from behind like unexpected I didn't quite know why 
and I kind of felt myself lying there for a moment like it wasn't immediate death it was like more like lying there and then I think I woke up then and then I actually went to have a look on my torso because I have a birthmark on my side and that matched where where the gunshot would have I guess exited maybe and when I sort of lay there for a while because it, it shocked me the dream I knew in my mind instantly it just came in my mind that that was how I died in my last life that's connected to the Vietnam War and I didn't have any doubt about it that was just it seemed like it was knowledge but I couldn't make sense of it I was like well what does this mean this didn't happen in the Vietnam War you know uh, from what for a while I thought well, maybe I was kind of a victim of maybe like a bank hold up or something you know after the war or something like that but I guess I just kind of thought well I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to find out about my past life because if I died after the war well it could have been anywhere yeah I mean it, it was it didn't really offer any answers it kind of it brought up lots of questions in in a lot of ways actually it's it's caused you a lot of angst because if you had remembered dying in Vietnam that would have made sense to you but this part is always the difficult part for you more than anything I think of any of your memories that you've talked about I think this right. is the one you struggle the most with yeah yeah is it possible that maybe you didn't die at that point? Maybe like Jeff Keen, you actually had a moment where you remembered being wounded. Possibly, but that would not have happened, to my knowledge, any time between my two tours. Because Terry, I mean, I spoke to the family of um, my past self, and they have not said that he was ever shot in that manner. So they would have known. Well, if it had happened earlier on in life, then yeah, Mm. for sure. Yeah. Which I suppose brings us to how did you actually find out more about who you were? Because you do actually end up finding out who you were. Okay. So (laughs) it wasn't, uh, again, not an overnight thing. It was a gradual over many years, kind of like if you would think that door was slightly opening a little bit more over the years. So a couple of years after that dream, I moved to Spain and when I was there I again a lot of the sort of symptoms that I was having when I was a child kind of reoccurred because I mean for a while I seemed to be a bit recovering I was going to college and I'm feeling a little bit better but I mean the anxiety and the fear never went away fully but at least I seemed to be moving on with life but when I moved to Spain I started again to get like uh, agoraphobic feelings and like all the trauma was there and I felt like well I never really dealt with any of this I've just kind of shut the door on it I never dealt with it and I I wanted to try and see if I could open to it so we had some friends in Spain and and they had some marijuana and to that day I'd never tried marijuana and I I was pretty anti-drugs to be fair I always felt like I don't want to touch that stuff and I I used to meditate and I felt like I can get into altered states by meditating blah, blah blah I don't need drugs but I felt like if I was to take the substance it's going to open me and at that point I was willing to try anything to try and get this stuff out so I tried smoking it a couple of times and nothing happened but one time I think maybe I overdid it a little bit and um, I was sitting there and my mind sort of didn't just remember Vietnam I seemed to really go back it was like a flashback it was like a multi-color feeling and in the memory I guess we call it I 
I remember I sort of went into a bit of a trance state. I remember my mind was spinning and I, I couldn't control what was coming out of my mouth. And um, I, I could see like I was above a jungle, uh, like from a bird's eye perspective. And I had a view of the jungle from this perspective and I could see it was kind of like either cloudy or foggy or, or, or there was smoke in the like fire in the jungle below. And the next minute I know I was kind of spinning out of control. Like the, it felt like I was spinning. And I remember saying to the people there, that, who I was there, like, I don't want to go back there. I was really like pleading, like, please don't maybe go back there. I don't, I don't want to see this. And that seemed to sort of open me more to the trauma. It seemed to be more on the surface after that because I would, I had a couple of like panic attack like scenarios where I was coming down in an air, airline when I was visiting England. And it was really stormy. And again, that feeling of absolute terror came back, which was exactly the same terror that I felt just in that vision of, of being above that jungle. And um, at, But even then, I didn't really connect it to perhaps something that had happened to me. I just felt like there's something there that's really fearful. And I moved back to England to be closer to family. And it was a couple of years after that that, I get this feeling sort of around December time every year that um that I'd have to needed to figure out what happened to me. It was always kind of December. I don't know why. I didn't know at the time why it was December. I've kind of got an inclination of why now. But one December in 2016, leading up to December 2016, from October onwards, I got this real strong urge to start looking on the Vietnam Wall Memorial website. And on this website, I can, it's got all the names who are etched into the memorial in Washington, D.C. And um, I started to get obsessed about looking for it, like I would just be browsing through the website. I didn't know why I was doing this, because I thought to myself, if I died, how I saw I died in that dream, then my name couldn't possibly be written on this wall. And yet, the feeling persisted, like, just keep looking, keep searching. And it really was an obsession. I would, I was looking every day from October till December. And um, I'll be searching through all these faces and, and, and looking at the, all these men. And um, after a while, I thought this isn't, I'm not gonna figure it out just by looking at these faces. I need to open myself a little bit. So I started to meditate, kind of. It wasn't kind of a meditate. It was more like I would just sit with a word processor open, with my sometimes with my eyes open, sometimes with my eyes closed. And I would just kind of write stuff down about and they were like um really like maybe like 10 second snapshots of like training type exercises of that I went through as my previous self but they, they seemed really random that like they all seemed like how could this belong to all to one person like for once I saw like in coming down in like a parachute I saw like uh, it was out in like a field with artillery and there were like explosions in this field and then I saw like what I got I was getting these impressions that the person who this belonged to, these memories, was somebody highly trained. This wasn't somebody green. You know, this wasn't somebody just who went to Vietnam uh, because he was drafted. You know, I got the feeling this is somebody who had a, was highly skilled, inc including like seeing in one of my memories of working on this like kind of archaic computer type system with all like dials and so on. And I was like, well, how could this belong to one person? This seems crazy. And I thought I was making it up. And then eventually, whilst I was still searching this wall memorial, I started to get an inclination of a name. It's like the name, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if I should say it really. I mean, I'm trying to 
I won't say his first name, but the one of the names was Terry. Oh, but it sounded like Terry. It was like Jerry. I actually thought it was, but that was kind of a mixture of his first name and his middle name. And I was still searching the War Memorial, and I started to gather from these little impressions I was getting that the person I was looking for wasn't on the killed in action list. They were on the missing list. And this is the reason why I was searching, because the person I'm searching for wasn't killed in Vietnam. The person I'm searching for went missing in Vietnam. And that narrowed down the list to about just over 2,000 men. And as I was searching, I also started to kind of trust a bit my impression. So I thought, well, this person I'm searching for has to be highly skilled. So I could look at somebody's profile and if they only had, say, one tour and they just flew I don't know, flew a plane or whatever, then I would dismiss that person because that doesn't match. And as well as a ground tour, I, I started to get impressions of me actually flying helicopters. And again, that's really quite specific. So I thought the person I'm looking for has to have been highly skilled, had a ground tour, and then came back to Vietnam and flew helicopters. So we flew helicopters and I, I saw... One of the words that I kept hearing was sort of reconnaissance or recon. At this point, I also kind of attempted to do, I guess, kind of semi-self-hypnosis and hypnosis with somebody else being there sort of to guide me. But we were not trained hypnosis or anything. It was more like I had that person relax me and then they guided me as I talked about sort of things that might come up. And one of the things I was, saw was that I crashed in a helicopter and I'd been taken prisoner and I saw myself in a place which I described it as a bamboo hut and it was a pretty terrible place and I, I couldn't almost describe it because it was horrific and I didn't want to remember it and um, I ended up sort of going away from that and saying I don't want to look at that and again I got lots more impressions about being this person who was highly trained and maybe even at one point it was training other people in your notes, if it's any help with regard to the hut, I can actually read out what you wrote if you find it hard to talk about. You said in your notes, the first thing I saw in the self-hypnosis event was that I was in a bamboo hut and I was sitting with my arms tied back. This place right. was a very bad place. It was utter fear, hard to describe, but it was distressing for me to recall and still is. I shared this hut with one other man. We were both shirtless. We had green pants on. We had no shoes or socks. I saw how I got to this place that I'd been in a helicopter with the other man and crashed. I also saw that I died. I've since had this memory repeat a couple of times and I came to the conclusion that I did not die. I saw what happened afterwards. So it was a near-death experience, in fact. Right. Yep, that's accurate. Although I didn't share a helicopter with this guy, I actually think this man was a helicopter pilot like myself, but right. he was captured, I think he captured a month after me. And I've actually been able to identify quite a strong potential of who that man was as well. I remembered his last name. Is he also MIA or did he die? Yeah, he's still, he's still MIA. They don't know what happened to him. And actually, it turns out, I mean, there's a couple of things about that guy, but in one of my memories I saw, he came into the camp with a really badly burned back. Like he had pretty significant burns. And um, the man who I found, actually, his vehicle... It crashed and it burned, so there was a there was a fire that would match. So after that attempt to sort of figure out who I was, I still didn't immediately find 
the person but I kind of had like narrowed down my list quite significantly but I found it really hard to trust my memories because I couldn't quite believe that I was this person who had all these skills it seemed impossible to me at that time and um I ended up finding somebody who nearly matched that profile to a T but when I to the point where he he had the same sort of first name he was he had things about him that were kind of match you know the profile but there was something not quite right about him I mean for one he didn't have all the skills that I was seeing and also when I looked into him his profile he, I figured actually he was killed he never went MIA I mean he was MIA for a little bit but they found his remains like it was actually definitely killed in the incident that resulted in his crash so in a way it kind of upset me because I thought well maybe I'll never find my memories you know where my memories tied to I, it was very, quite frustrating but I, I persisted and I ended up looking on a website which has like prisoner of war admitting in action cases sort of rather than not actually looking on the Vietnam War memorial and one day I was searching and I came across of a mission in action case and as I was reading it um, I was realizing that this matched on a lot of fronts I mean the, ser- the service history wasn't there so I couldn't check that but there are aspects of it that, that matched in that it crashed on a really foggy day and the co-pilot was found 24 hours after the after the crash happened but the pilot who crashed and was never found it was high highly likely that he survived the crash and the people who were searching the area made the conclusion that he probably got away and was taken prisoner. And when I read that, it was like everything in it was resonating. And um, I ended up finding a picture of him. And when I looked at him, I got this feeling that I'd seen his face before. It was like, but I, I didn't want it to be him. I was like, no, it's not you. But it, I knew it was. And it was very surreal. I stopped searching. That was it. Really, even though you didn't want to admit it, you kind of really subconsciously knew there's no point to search because this is him. That's him. And after I, after after I sort of discovered his his profile on on the on the war memorial, I think I went into a bit of a shock. Really, it was a bit like a shock state. I can imagine um, that because you've basically had all these not sure what they were feelings and you know possibly memories but you know that's all well and good while it's just out there in the ether but the minute you actually recognize and realize that that you remember the life of this person it all of a sudden is something you can no longer really just put down to being anxiety or whatever else yeah and when one of the things it did say profile of him was that he had not only done been a helicopter pilot but before that he had done a prior tour in Vietnam with the special forces and I was thinking that's it and also he was an artillery captain so that explains all the artillery I was seeing on the field and so on and mm-hmm. um, later on I found not then but later on when I was looking more into his service history like months after that I'd also worked on uh, like um, anti-missile bases so um, anti-nuke missile bases and um, that might explain why I was seeing all this thing of the the headset and the primitive computer and so on yeah and another thing i would say too was that i also saw aspects of before i found him i saw aspects of how the how his first tour went and that was that I spent some time in the field and then i spent some time in saigon or around saigon 
and before coming home and then I knew I'd then gone back to Vietnam and done a sort of tour and not been in country very long before I shot down and that matches everything about him he did a his first tour and then he actually spent some time in Saigon because I actually looked at his service record and um in sort of the middle end of the tour and uh, and then obviously came home and then went back flew only a couple of months and then was shut down I think we might leave it here with Ben for now and come back to hear more about Terry and what happened to him in the next episode. I found Ben's mother's comments to him of don't be Catholic and don't be Irish intriguing and I asked Ben after the interview if his current family had either Catholic or Irish connections and he said no. Given Terry was both Catholic and of Irish descent, it seems an interesting term and phrase to use, particularly given Ben was of the feeling that his mother in this life might also have been his mother in his past life. As you know, I'm Australian and we tend to emulate the Brits in our language and cultural influences, and I've never heard either of these terms, even though I'm well aware of a lot of the lingo that is used, and that I knew that there was a definite division between the Catholic and Anglican churches when I was growing up. Ben says they're not in common use in his area either. I asked him once why he feels he ended up reincarnating in England, as most people tend to reincarnate back into the same cultural groups that they were part of in their last life. Ben has said to me before that he wonders if he didn't choose England in order to basically follow his mother, because he feels she was his mother in his life as Terry. I asked him if he'd ever discussed his memories of Terry with his mother, and Ben said that he had, and that she believed him. When he showed her a picture of Terry's mother, she recognised a similarity between her own eyes and Terry's mother's eyes. Ben says he doesn't know if she feels that she was Terry's mother. However, she is at least open to the concept of it. He suspects her anti-Irish and anti-Catholic lines harken back to her wish that both of their lives would be different this time, as Terry's mother was Irish Catholic and things didn't end well for her. She ended up dying reasonably young in her 50s from a medical condition. Ben also feels he wanted to distance himself completely from America and the war, and as Ben's account plays out, it can be easy to understand why he might not have wanted to live in America this time around. But for now, we'll leave things here for the moment and come back in the next episode to learn more about Terry and the troubling memories that have haunted Ben. Those memories also lead us down the rabbit hole to explore some interesting and disturbing revelations about how the war was conducted and how the US reacted to reports of men still in the camps after the war's end. Thank you for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We hope you enjoyed this case. If you have any interesting stories about reincarnation or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them. And I can be contacted through my email at reincarnation at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. If you'd like to support me, I'd be honoured if you'd become a Patreon supporter. You can find me on Patreon under Reincarnation PLR. I do do extra content now and your support helps me to keep pumping out content faster and lets me keep on doing what I hope you love hearing. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose.